It's the Chatting Breeze Podcast. Hello everyone and welcome back to the Chatting Breeze Podcast. It's me, Don the Hippie. And it's me, Helen. Great to have you back, guys. It is. Again, it's taken a while to get this one out. Yeah. I know, but we're trying. We're trying, but we're human. So we apologise. Life happens. Life happens. We'll we'll get better. We will. We will. (laughs) Everyone grows. That's it. (laughs) So, how are you? I'm good. You're good? I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm excited about this one. Are you? Yes. I'm I'm very excited. The guest... This week is pretty awesome. Yep. He's incredible. Incredible guy. And um, I'm really hoping that we, um, you know, have a nice, nice interview where we can really dig deep into his story because it's fantastic. I know you don't know too much about him. Mm-hmm. I've, I'm kind of the, the, the lead on this one mm-hmm. in regards to knowing who the person is. I feel like this is quite a common theme now. <laughs> I don't know, you've got a few. You've got yeah. quite a few. Yeah. So, um, a bit of housekeeping. Yep. Great Sounds debate. Good. Yes, great debate. So, do you believe in ghosts? I think yes is the common yeah. most people we spoke to. Yeah. said yes, they believe in ghosts. They're not sure in what capacity. Yeah. I think that's what we thought. Yeah. The, uh, the outcome would be I think I don't know I think it's hard to be able to say no definitely not like how can you be so so certain yeah. I, I don't know it's Doesn't a weird one sense, isn't it, is it? Yeah. yeah so yeah I'm not surprised by the by the outcome no. I think that's probably the I don't know if there's a right or wrong outcome but if there was I think that would be the right one yeah <laughs> means that you know Lots of open-minded people listening to our podcast. I like that. Yeah, lots of open-minded people. (laughs) I love that too. Right. So, what should we cover first? What should we do this week's great debate? We'll do this week's one while we're talking about the great debate. Cool. So, it's time for the great debate. This week's one is very Don inspired. Very Don inspired. <laughs> so this week's is well, this is kind of a say. So should people be allowed to go barefoot anywhere they want? Yes. <laughs> Just straight in there. Yes, yes, they should. I, I think that people should also use their common. They should be allowed to go barefoot wherever they want. But there's places I think you probably shouldn't go barefoot. Like I think of quite a few, yeah. Yeah, like a public toilet. Oh yeah, that's great. That's not one of the ones I thought of. But like yeah, a public toilet, you. you probably should throw something on your feet, and that's because a lot of the reason people don't like people going barefoot is for some crazy reason hygiene. They think it's dirty to have bare feet, like go around barefooted. But as in, you're the dirty yeah, one, not like the, the barefooted feet, like person. The feet is are getting, dirty. Okay. Yeah. Like the feet are dirty. Oh, oh he's got his feet out in a like, supermarket. Uh, so, but, I don't know. Like, I don't think it... Well, I mean, yeah, obviously there will be some people who, I'm sure, who will think that. But, like, for me, 
I don't particularly like feet. They kind of creep me out a little bit. I'm not I'm not a foot person. Which is quite funny because for people that know me know that I quite often won't wear shoes at all. Yeah, yeah. He'll walk around the village where we live. He'll walk around there barefoot. Yeah, I'd go into a shop barefoot quite comfortably. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, going back to it. So I'm not massively into feet and like I don't care if people are... Oh, like, like when, while we're at home, I don't care that you're barefoot or the kids are barefoot. Whatever, that's different. That's fine. But like out and about, I think there are certain places. Like, I'm not going to lie. If I was like a restaurant, <laughs> there was people sitting around, not even necessarily on our table, but like on nearby tables and they just had their feet out. Like, I mean, I'm not as dramatic as to say that would just put me off my food. I'd have to walk away, whatever. But it would make me like, I don't know. But why? Because I don't like feet. So, you, so don't like I don't, look, you don't I like just the don't look like of the, the feet. I don't know, yeah, it would just, it would just, But I would be very aware of the, like I said, I wouldn't just like walk out or something. Mm. I'm not as dramatic as that, but I would be very aware of the fact they're doing that and it would distract me. And yeah. yeah. But weirdly, if they were just wearing flip flops, which let's face it, is on the top is minimal yeah. <laughs> coverage, yeah. that would be fine. So that, that strip, that strip. Yeah, that makes that, all the difference. It goes over the top of your foot. That part of your foot must be like the nipple really of the foot. Really offensive. Really That's the offensive. nipple of the foot. Yeah. Like yeah. You can see the rest of the foot, but that bit is the bit <laughs> but that would get sensitive. that bit's on show, nope, Vile. nope, get out of my restaurant. Minger. <laughs> see, like, I think that being in flip-flops in a restaurant is more offensive <laughs> than being barefoot. See, that doesn't bother me. <laughs> if you're barefoot, a Nelly pod. What? A Nelly pod. It's a, a person that walks barefoot. It's a, there's a term for it. No. Yeah, there is. Everyone, look it up. It's great. Nellypod. Uh, Nellypod. <laughs> um, so, someone that walks barefoot. Mm. So, if someone doesn't wear shoes for multiple reasons, like when I started going barefoot was because my injury and it was significantly more comfortable mm. walking with no footwear when I broke my foot. Mm-hmm. And then I found that if I spend spent long periods of time barefoot walking around, my foot started to feel stronger, which then stopped me limping so much. And now I don't limp at all. So that's quite... That could obviously just be I naturally healed. Yeah. But I wasn't healing until I started walking around barefoot quite a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd be more offended if someone was in a restaurant in flip-flops because I'd <laughs> think to myself, well... You're you're just being a scruff bag. Yeah, I guess so, maybe so maybe it depends on like the condition of the feet too. I think feet are such like a broad spectrum thing, aren't they? Like there are some that are like really well looked after. This is, such a, this is making me feel uncomfortable just even talking about it. <laughs> I just really don't like them. But there are some that are, but there are some that are just far from it. Isn't there? <laughs> yeah. See, see the the common yeah the common debates for bare feet like for people going against bare feet are, you know, they shouldn't be allowed in, like, supermarkets because it's unhygienic, there's food, you shouldn't be walking around barefoot. My argument to that is, do people genuinely think that my feet would be dirtier than their shoes? Yeah, that's a weird one. Because if I stood in dog poo, I would be going home and washing my feet, where if someone else stood in dog poo with their shoes on, they, could they would just, the they would just wipe it on grass, maybe. Yeah. Other than that, they're just walking around the supermarket. They don't care because yeah, it's on a shoe. Yeah. There's a ba- barrier. So I think, yeah, I think people should be able to wear, should be allowed to go barefoot wherever they want. 
but shouldn't necessarily choose to. Yeah. Like a hospital, I think. Put some shoes on. Although I did go to a hospital barefoot when Jacob had his croup. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was more because we were just rushing around. Yeah. Um, But I mean, hospitals, it would obviously be like, I guess it'd be more like if you weren't there, but like if someone dropped like a needle or something. Oh dear. That's just another story in itself. But, um, or, and then obviously there's places like, like a building site or something. That would be a stupid place to be barefoot, right? Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. If you're you're doing something that's, you know, risky, wear shoes for safety because... Yeah, that makes that makes sense. Or if you're doing something very unnatural, so if you're riding a motorbike, oh, wear yeah. shoes because you're you're, you're, you're not naturally me. meant to go seventy miles an hour. So if you're to I'm fall blessed, off, yeah. you 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 know you're gonna end up with no no feet. Degloved, degloved foot. <laughs> oh, would that be de socked? <laughs> no, I think it's still degloved. Oh, but yeah. So yes. <laughs> Should you be able to wear shoes? Um, should you be able to go barefoot wherever you want? Yes or no? That's this week's great debate. I like that one. <laughs> right. I thought you would. Yeah. So, shall we do Don's Did You Know? Yes. Don's Did You Know? Tune here. You still don't have one. I, hate I know, to I know. But hey, I can one dream. day. One day. <laughs> I might go back and put them all in to all the previous episodes if I get the tune. So, did you know that there is enough gold on Earth to coat the entire surface of the Earth? And it would be one and a half foot deep. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. That's a lot of gold. And yet, it seems to be worth so much. It doesn't seem very rare, does it? No. <laughs> like everyone could get like a foot and a half of gold quite comfortably because it's still going over the surface of the ocean and stuff and people aren't there so everyone could have like a foot and a half of gold and it'd be fine if we all got the gold but I, I think that statistic is how much gold they think is in the earth at the yes, same time so as well it's just been discovered, discovered yet, yet. right yeah. well but yeah, that's interesting there's enough gold to coat the earth at a foot and a half well there you go Don's did you know? Mm, I did not know. Well done. <laughs> right. Shall we welcome our guest? I think we should. I think it's time. Right, now, this chat, just a quick run through. Mm-hmm. This chat, he is a strong man. Nice. He has an incredible backstory. Um, people should know who he is, but if they don't, shame on them. I've said <laughs> that a few times. This guy, he he holds. Well, he's had over twenty five world records. Twenty five world records in his career, mm-hmm. mostly for the Atlas Stone, you know, that big boulder thing that yep. the strong men lift up. So he's got that. Um, he's now he's got his own business. He trains people to do what he does best, which is pretty awesome. It's the one, the only. Travis Altmaier. So everyone, this is Travis. What's up, everyone? Right. <laughs> so for our listeners that may not have heard of you, first of all, shame on you, because <laughs> they should all know who you are. Um, <laughs> but for those who don't, 
Could you let them know a little bit about yourself, Travis? Oh, man. Okay. So uh, I got a fairly unique job. I get to lift heavy things for a living and show other people how to lift heavy things for a living. Uh, you know, it's a dream job as far as I'm concerned. But, uh, I, you know, I've done strongman professionally now for 20 years. Um, I've been all over the world. I think I've been to 33 different countries and six continents, all on someone else's dime doing strongman. So, fantastic <laughs> life. Uh, I've had some ups. I've had some downs. You know, my uh, if most people live in this threshold of their highs and their lows, my highs are up here and my lows are even lower. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting life. I've got no complaints though. Right, so you you have twenty five world records, twenty five yes. world records. Something I don't know if uh, I I don't think I still hold all of those, but I have had at one point twenty five world records. Yeah, and wow. are they all in the event Atlas Stone? No, but the majority are. Right, you are Not, the, uh, the the stone lifting monster of Texas. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you are the Texas Stone man. <laughs> but it's um so obviously that's what that's kind of the event that you're I suppose then best known for. But is that I want to, is that your favorite one, or is it just happen does it just happen to be the one that you, you know, particularly excel at? When I first started Strongman, it was my absolute favorite one. There was just nothing like lifting Atlas stones. I loved it, and then I got so good at it that there's a lot of pressure that gets put on you and expectation from yourself and from others. Like if this run isn't a world record, then it's a failed run. And just, I don't know what, at what point specifically, but somewhere along the line, I started to no longer enjoy doing Atlas mm -hmm. stones, you know, right. but uh, back in the camp of loving them again. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it, I think it's the most, it's the most manly of events, isn't it? It's like I'm going to yeah. pick up this huge rock. <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> it's, um, this being a, this being a, an audio based medium, um, our listeners until they go and go and follow you on Instagram, which they, which I hope they'll do, and check out all your stuff. Until they do that, they the man is a Goliath. He is he's like he's a machine. If you watch so him, the things he lifts up make me yeah they make me feel less of a man <laughs> <laughs> i feel my well, testosterone depleting <laughs> i've poured my heart and soul into it for you know 30 years of lifting weights you know it's, it's all i've ever done is it what you did you always want to do that or when did you know you wanted to, to sort of uh, compete like that so when I was 11, I wanted to be a bodybuilder. And all through high school, I wanted to be a bodybuilder because I wanted to be like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was such a badass. And, you know, Conan and Predator, like such a badass. I wanted to be that guy. And I was picked on a lot. So I I was trying to get strong so that I wouldn't be bullied anymore. Um, I did two bodybuilding shows in high school. And they were they were run by the school. They were fundraisers for the football team, and I wasn't on the football team, so I didn't place either year. The first year I kind of accepted it. The second year, I was the only guy on the stage that knew what a lat spread was. I'm the only one who knows all the poses, and I didn't place. 
And so I realized the subjective nature of bodybuilding. I said, this is just garbage. Forget this. <laughs> you know, uh, I didn't throw it away immediately. Um, I kept going. I tried to keep going in bodybuilding, and I just started to lose my passion for it. Um, I, I had taken up some powerlifting with a buddy of mine. This is after high school, so I was in Atlanta through high school, and I moved to Houston the day I graduated. I met a guy out there. We started powerlifting, and powerlifting was cool, but I don't know. It just wasn't enough. Was that was that Marshall White? What's that? Was that Marshall White that got you into Correct. this? Yeah. <laughs> nice, yeah. man. Yeah. I like, uh, <laughs> we like, we, I, I like to do some research. <laughs> yeah. You nailed it, man. I met him, and we started training together, and we did a couple powerlifting meets together, and I remember at that time, I was in school full-time. I was working full-time as a waiter. It was a god-awful job. I, I will never wait tables again. And then I was training full-time, and I was living my life around my workouts. Like, I wouldn't wait tables on Saturdays because Saturday was squat day. That's just how I lived. Um, wow. And I remember getting to the point where I'm thinking, you know, why – why am I living my life around my workouts? This is the only thing that really isn't contributing to my future, so to speak. So why don't I, I focus on school and work as much as I can, save up as much money as I can. Um, you know, cause at the time I was doing well in school, I had a ac couple academic awards, some honors credit. I was going to school for biotechnology, you know, it was a, a promising future in that field. Um, and then Marshall came to me one day and he says, I want to do Texas Strongest Man. And I remember looking at him like, what are you crazy? Like, mm -hmm. you mean those guys on TV? We'll never be that strong. What are you nuts? Um, nevertheless, he signed up for it. And being his training partner, I was going to go up and I was going to help him. And uh, the contest was straight north of Houston, about six hours, right up near the Oklahoma border. It was August. So August in Texas, Oklahoma, it's just miserable, you know, and this, this competition was going to be out in a bank parking lot. <laughs> it was like 117 degrees on that parking lot. Uh, but anyway, so we get there the night before, and he's signing in. He's checking in with the promoter. The promoter looks at me and says, you know, you're here. Why don't you sign up? And I said, all right, you know what? What the hell? I'll give it a shot. And then Marshall changed my life with the next thing that he said. He looked up from the paper he was signing. He goes, man, I'm glad you signed up because at least now I know I won't take last. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I didn't know I had a competitive bone in my body, but he lit a fire in me. And I beat his ass for 10 years straight after that. <laughs> Thank you, Marshall. Thank you, Marshall, for that. He changed my life. But, you know, little did I know, Strongman was the absolute most fun thing that I had ever done in my entire life. That that first competition, it changed the course of my life. I had this promising future in, you know, academia and, and biotechnology, and uh, I took a sharp right turn and went a completely different direction. <laughs> I, uh You've got a diehard following on Instagram, all your social medias, really, but you've got a real diehard following, people really engaged with your content. 
we had I put out a little thing to suggest that you're coming on. We had uh, sort of an influx of um, messages and stuff that oh can you can you ask him this? Can you tell him that? Can you tell him how amazing he is and all that kind of thing? Right. Um, we've got a <laughs> an audio message from um, one of our listeners. Her her name's Haley. Um, she has recorded a message. We would like to play it for you. Um, it's a question. It's a question that she says okay. nice things to. But it's, a, but it's a question more than anything else. Um, if you can't hear it, then let us know. And then I'll just repeat back what she said. Um, and then through the beauty of editing, it will be her voice and you answering it. <laughs> so if that's all right. Perfect. Yeah, let's do it. Right, let's go. Let's see if you can hear it. There we go. Oh, hi, Travis. Uh, my name's Hayley, and I'm a huge fan of the sport of Strongman, and of course of yours. And I wanted to ask you, how do you go about bridging the gap between being an amateur Strongman and a professional? How do you train for these events? Because obviously they're so unique to Strongman, not something that you can practice in a gym. So I always wonder how you manage to do that. Thank you so much. <coughs> Well, yeah, that's a good, great question. I get this question a lot because you don't see a lot of the events, the equipment that we use in the regular gym. Now, it's a little different now than when I started. When I started, I had to go to a le local metal fabricator and have some stuff built. Wow. Either that or, you know, we'd, we'd rig something up to make something work. I remember training for my first yoke in a competition, all I did was walk back and forth inside of a power cage. So I'd get like three little steps. I'd have to drop it, turn around, stand back up with the weight, do three little steps again. But that was that was the extent of my yoke training. Um, but nowadays, thankfully, there are a lot of gyms that have strongman equipment in them. You know, but if you find yourself in an area that doesn't have it, um, here in America, there are a lot of people that are building strongman equipment. And I think there's a few starting to pop up in England as well. So uh, like Mirafit and places like that in England, they, they make strongman equipment. Um, so I would invest in something that's a fairly good quality, something that'll last a long time. So you only have to buy it once and then uh, find a gym that'll let you bring it in so you can train. Yeah, well, that sounds like good advice. Well, thank you, Hayley, for your message. That was, that was um, yeah, it was a really good message. I like that. Good question. Um, we've also... I, I just went out of answer for full question. So bridging the gap between amateur and professional. This, there is no gap. Either you're going to be an amateur or you're going to be a professional. If you want to be a professional, you train and compete like you already are a professional. You dress for the job that you want, not the job that you have. Ah, nice. So you got to find the shows that get you qualified as a pro. You got to show up and you got to win. Oh, I like that. Simple as that. That's, that's got to be a soundbite for the episode. That was pretty good. I like that. Um, yeah, so we've also had, in regards to questions, a lot of people, What what when you were competing, what would you eat? on a daily basis? Because I can imagine the, the calorie intake is high. So if I had if I had a perfect world, I could bring all my own food. Uh, the morning of, you, you eat kind of a high-carb, simple meal. You know, uh, like pancakes and eggs is great. Lots of pancakes, a few eggs. You need a little bit of protein to kind of 
make things move correctly in your system. But but you don't want a lot of fats and you don't want a lot of greasy food because it's going to bog down your system. You're going to feel kind of sluggish. So you want the easier to burn carbs. And then you need to keep feeding yourself throughout the day those semi-simple carbs. So like Rice Krispie treats are great between wow. events. If you're at a particularly long competition, because there's a lot of competitors, uh, I will bring peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with me, and I will eat that directly after an event. That way it has the most possible time to get into my system before the next event. Yeah, well, I think that's pe- peanut butter and jam if you're in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just people have, like, wobbling jelly on a, on top of a piece of toast trying to make this work. Um, no, so, right, we've... So we've had, like like I said, we had lots of people, everyone, everyone is so positive of when we said we're getting you on. So many people um, enjoy your positivity. But to bring it down a little bit, you said that your highs in life were up here and your lows were way down here. What do you think was the the worst point oh, in man. your in, in, <laughs> I, I know you've been for a lot i i like as you know i like to do my research and i've i've never like teared up while reading someone's research before but yours hit me in a yeah quite deeply when i was when i was listening to reading up and listening to your downside but for our listeners what would you call your lowest point so i might have to distinguish between like the lowest point and then the most painful point that brought about the descent into madness and met that lowest point so kind of setting the the stage um i competed really really hard i think i've competed harder than any other american has ever done you know, with upwards of 20 competitions a year, pushing through, uh, like I had a torn pec, competed 12 days later, took second in that show, competed two weeks after that, won that show, and then a week after that was Fortissimus, and I took fourth. So that was all with a torn pec. Um, and I still have the gap in my chest, missing half of this pec. Uh, but that's the kind of the, the thing that I did. I pushed so hard and I dug so deep that – I think I started to crack around the edges. I started to resent training. I started to resent strongman. I I kept getting pushed to compete, even though I, I deep down knew I shouldn't. I was I needed a break. I needed a break, and I just didn't take it. And uh, that led to some issues, you know, with uh, me and my wife at the time. Um, of course, she was kind of pushing me to keep going, and and I was pushing myself to keep going because I didn't want to admit that I needed to stop. Um, but something in me subconsciously started to break, and I started to make poor decisions. And in those poor decisions, um, it led to my wife and I kind of growing apart splitting apart. And I had a young son at the time. Um, I didn't really know what was going on, you know, because when you're in the moment, you've never been there. It's hard to see. Um, 
looking back, I think it was just a uh, it was a, a depression brought on by some kind of physiological change in my body, and I didn't know how to deal with it. Of course, at that time, I was also addicted to painkillers because I was pushing so hard, and I was taking those. I had been taking those for about a year, year and a half. Um, and anyway, I just got to the point where everything had gotten so bad in my personal life. As far as training, I couldn't stand training. I couldn't stand the thought of competing. And then my wife and I splitting up. And the day, the most painful day, to kind of get back to what we were talking about, was uh, the day that I took my wife and my three-year-old son to the airport. She was from England when we met, and she was moving back to England. So I took them to the airport, and in the back of my mind, I'm sorry, in the front of my mind, I'm telling myself, you know, this is what we need to do. We're going to try and make things work over there. That was the story I was telling myself and believing. And meanwhile, the back of my mind was screaming at me that this was a terrible idea. That's not how it's going to go. You're going to get screwed over. This is the furthest thing from what I want. So I had this kind of war raging inside of me. And then I had the shattering moment of watching my son with his little car's backpack and his little hat on, a big smile on his face because he was going on an adventure. He's holding my wife's hand, and they're walking through the doors. And then the doors closed behind them, and I felt like my heart shattered. I felt like this scar had opened up right across the center of it. It was the single most painful event in my entire life, and and nothing compares to it. I mean, I lost my mom and my sister within a year and a half of each other. Um, nothing compared to that moment. I've never felt anything like that before or since. And part of what I did to help get out of that pain, because, again, I was lost in this darkness and just couldn't see things clearly, um, I allowed myself to just go home and essentially just get fucked up for a week. And I did whatever I could. I, uh, I had a, a friend, you know, say that quotation marks, a friend offered me crystal meth. I had another friend had uh, cocaine. So I, I took to using those that week. And, uh, you know, I went from just simple smoking it to injecting it pretty quickly thinking to myself, this is fucking crazy. And, uh, you know, I remember one moment when I was sitting on the couch, I had my phone on my lap with 911 dialed into it. And I've got this mix of, of cocaine and meth in the needle. And I had 911 ready, which is 999 for you all. Mm -hmm. Just in case something happened, I could just hit that button real quick. <laughs> and then, Looking back, I'm thinking if I had to have 911 ready, like maybe that was a bad idea. You know, <laughs> maybe don't go through with this. This is stupid. But I was in so much pain. I was so lost. I just, you know, that I gave myself that week, and that week turned into four years of absolute pain and misery. So that to get back to kind of what this question was, the lowest point came about from the most painful point and trying to run away from it. Um, mm -hmm. During that four-year time, I lost everything. 
I lost my friends. They turned their backs on me. I lost my family. Uh, there were two people that kept in contact with me. And I think it was because one was in Norway and one was in Georgia. They were very far away and didn't have to deal with me much. Uh, they didn't have to see, you know, the sad sight that I had become. And uh, anyway, so lost my family, friends, lost my career as a strongman, lost my uh, my job as a personal trainer, and then eventually lost my house. You know, it was just one thing after another was being taken away. And I think the lowest point was after I'd gotten home from <laughs> I'd gotten home from the courthouse one day. I had just filed for bankruptcy and I'm trying to extend the foreclosure on my house. And I really wanted to talk to my son. So I, I dialed the number and got the voicemail again. At this point, it had been like two or three weeks since I'd heard from him. And I just shattered me again. You know, I just, I wanted to give up in that moment. Because all I could see was everything that I lost. All the pain around me. Everything in that house reminded me of him. So it was just painful all the time. Um, I thought about ending it right there. So I actually had a gun ready to go. And, uh, and I think the moment that the thing that actually stopped me, I'm sure it was something subconscious that really stopped me. But the conscious thought that stopped me was the mess that I would make and the poor bastard that would have to clean it up. And I didn't want to do that to somebody. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, that's like the most selfless, <laughs> the most selfless, um, reason to, to not do it. Ah, oh, someone's going to ruin their mop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a poor guy had to clean up my fuck. Yeah. Anyway, oh, sure that was some, some subconscious way of, of, you know, creeping out with an idea that just kept me from, from ending things. So in any event, I put the gun down and I kind of, I don't know, I was a little shaken, understandably. I was, I was kind of in shock at what the hell I had just about done. And I remember thinking like all the, the pain around me is causing my life to get worse. Like everything is just making my life worse because I keep, doing this negative spiral. Every time I come home, I think about everything that I'd lost. Every time I looked in my son's room, I'd have to think about everything that was gone. Every time that I'd, you know, go anywhere, I was, uh, I was this skinny drug addict. And people, people look at you different, you know, than when you're a giant guy who's got some kind yeah. of self-respect. And uh, I remember that I had this kind of negativity list and I, it was not something I thought about, but it just kind of happened. Um, every time I'd see my house or I'd, I'd think about my son being gone, I'd think about everything else that I'd lost. You know, I lost my friends, lost family, I lost my, my job, my career, I lost my passion, I lost my house, blah, blah, blah. And it was like this little checklist. And I finally noticed in that moment, I'm like, you know, every time I go through that checklist, I feel worse. Maybe I can reverse this. Maybe, maybe if that's true, that I can feel worse with this checklist, maybe I can do an, a positive checklist and go the other direction. And so I sat there for a minute. I tried to find something positive. 
And again, I'm looking around and I start seeing all the stuff in my house. And immediately I started thinking about everything that I'd lost. And I said, wait a second. You know, you've got to be conscious of this. You have to really make the effort. And so I sat there and I looked in every corner, every little spot in my house. I'm like, I'm going to find something that's good. And I couldn't find anything. So I sat down. I got my head in my hands. And I looked down and see my feet move. And I thought, well, hell, you know what? At least I still have my own two feet. And with these two feet, I can get up and I can walk out of this shithole. I don't need to be here anymore. And as soon as I said that, I felt this surge of joy kind of come up from the pit of my stomach, up my chest, into the back of my throat. It was the first time I'd felt joy in years. And it was incredible. And so I kind of sat with that. And then I woke up the next day and I said, you know, that I want that feeling again. And so I was like, let's find another positive thing. And so I look around and right away, that negative checklist comes up. Oh, I'm looking for something good. Well, here I've lost this, I've lost that. It was so ingrained that that negative checklist just came up automatically. And I said, I have to get a positive checklist in the place of that because you can't, you can't just take something out without replacing it. That just leaves a void and it's going to be filled with something else negative. You have to put something in there consciously. And so the conscious change that I was making was instead of a negative checklist, I was looking for a positive checklist. And so I said, okay, you got your feet. You know what? I've got my feet and I've got my hands. I've got strong hands and I can get up and I can go anywhere and I can do anything because I can get the hell out of this place. And again, I got that feeling of joy and I rode that out for the day. And then the third day I wanted to find a third thing. The fourth day I found a fourth thing. And then the fifth day, and this is probably the second most important after the first day. The fifth day, I just I did not find a new thing. So I went back through my previous four, and now I've got my positive checklist. Every time I caught myself saying that negative checklist, I would cut it off, and I would immediately start saying everything that I was grateful for. And then that downward spiral started to reverse that momentum, started to kind of climb out of that darkness rather than fall deeper into it. For the first time in years, there was a little pinprick of light in the darkness, and I knew there was a way out. So that that's kind of a long, drawn-out. <laughs> oh, no, that was amazing. Yeah. That was amazing. It was like a low moment into one of the, the absolute highest moments, you know? Amazing, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, I think for our listeners especially, to be able to hear, even if they're going through something dark, if someone's listening to this out there and they're going through a dark time, there's there, there, there there's help and there's the ability to reverse the negativity that you're going through. There's hope. If, there's help and there's yeah, hope. There's not many things you can lose. But like the fact that you obviously lost contact with your son was one of the things that really hit home for me. I'm a dad, I've got three kids and the idea of them going, I I don't know how I'll deal with it. So to hear that you managed to, you know, you you survived it. Are are you, uh, do you get, have any contact with your son now or is it still limited or? No, I'm, I'm trying now. I don't, actually know where they are you know i I don't have a phone number anymore Um, i was sending him letters and packages 
And then uh, when I moved to Reno, they started getting returned. So I think they moved, and I have no idea where they are. Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 you know, I hope, I hope that at some point, you know, you can, you can rebuild relationships and and get him back in your life. But the <laughs> fact that you managed to stay so positive is yeah. incredible to me. Well, you know, you have a choice. Life is going to happen either way. The only thing you can control is how you react to it. You can either control, you can either react negatively or you can react positively. The situation is going to be the same that happens to you. But the after effects are entirely based upon how you react to those situations. So if you react negatively, you're going to create more negativity in your life. I mean, that's, that's what I learned. You know, when I saw the world through a negative lens, all I saw was negativity, and I created a negative checklist. When I changed the lens and I saw the world through positive, I saw more and more positive. I'm looking at the same picture, seeing completely different things, because I've got different... You make you made your own echo chamber. So you whatever you were putting out you kept on getting back in abundance so by making it a positive thing it naturally you get positive things things back a bit like a youtube algorithm if you search kittens you get videos of kittens constantly yeah yeah good way of looking at it actually yeah <laughs> so you manipulated your algorithm which that's, is that's a great fantastic <laughs> you know my fantastic. uh my son did reach out to me last year. It was about two weeks before I was due to compete in England. And uh, I saw the message. It was on Facebook. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if, if for some reason maybe I was blocked. Maybe that account was deleted. But I read the message and I could not reply to it. So I got this little teaser from my son saying, hey, I was you know, it, it's Misha, and if you, you know, here's proof, blah, blah, blah. And it just wanted to see if it was really me at the other end. And, and it's heartbreaking because I couldn't tell him it was. I got the message, wow. saved it. You know, hmm. I've looked, I look at it all the time, and I've tried to reply every time, but the, the account is gone, I think. And uh, I, I was this close, man. I was. Yeah, you know, but it gives me hope that he's out there looking and he's really interested. Yeah. And I mean, and contact, yeah, yeah. How old will you be now? Thirteen. Wow. Yeah. Wow, he's a teenager. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really hope he takes after his mom because I was I was a difficult teenager. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're all forged in fire. All yeah. the hard things we do and all the hard things we go through, it turns as you know, it's pressure makes a diamond, don't it? Doesn't it? So, it's, <laughs> so you know, yeah, I, I think you're li you're li living proof of that. But I'd, I'd rather him learn from my mistakes than have to make them himself. But you know, I guess people have to walk their own path and make their own mistakes. So absolutely, <laughs> you never know. There might be a you know a, a strongman event where your your training someone and end up competing with a giant that you recognize that would be freaking awesome <laughs> be awesome you know i know he likes rugby because that was one of the things that he wrote in his message 
and uh, rugby's badass. So I, I would love to see my son play rugby. God. Oh well, you know, watch this space. I think that would be, um, yeah, it would be nice, nice if it ever happened. I would, I would love to see your your social media explode because I know you've got a lot of support there. It's you, you, you're currently doing a lot of training, like online training for people. Um, you've gained like a a following of the the next wave of strong people. I think. Yeah, you know, it's uh, like I said. You know, it became my passion. So I want to share the passion with everybody. I, I compete, I train, and I train others to do the same. And that's my life. I, I absolutely love it. Amazing. And do you, what, do you see anything more sort of being added to it? Or like, what does your sort of future, what does the next five years do you think look like for you? Will you, will you continue doing the same? So you're competing, you're training um, and everything? Or... Yeah, the uh, five years, I really want to push hard to do everything that I can in Strongman because, you know, we all have a limited amount of time, um, and I've put my body through more than most people. (laughs) But um, I really want to see how far I can go. I want to continue to improve upon Mm -hmm. my business. And then I was – I don't know if I even want to say it out loud. You know, part of me wants to try to do the old – the whole kid thing again. Oh, wow. You know, just terrifying as that is, because <laughs> the first time I went through, it didn't work out very well. So, <laughs> hey, different times now. It, the, thing <laughs> is, the thing is, you were a completely Yeah. <laughs> very different person. Very different person. Yeah. I think, I think, I think I, that might be our- I'm a vote for you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> all right so all of our listeners give a thumbs up <laughs> if you um if, if you think you should now we are we're very conscious that you have got um people coming over today some exciting people exciting stuff going on at home um so we don't oh, want to, right. the house. we don't want to take up too much more of your time but um i'd just like to give you the opportunity to give us your like your social media accounts, how can people find you? We'll also put them in the description of this episode so people can go on and find you and check out all your stuff and reach out because you you answered me, you may answer them. <laughs> yeah, well, I spend a lot of time uh, in my DMs and the best way to get a hold of me is through Instagram. Just my name, Travis Sportmeyer. Excellent. Yeah, and he's um yeah great guy, follows account, positive through the roof. Um, I think that everyone will benefit from having a little, a little, little bit of you, little bit of Travis in their life. life. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that, man. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Travis. I, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll tell you what, I didn't want that interview to end. I thought that was great. That was really good. He's he's a beautiful human. What a nice guy, yeah. Yeah, definitely. and the thing is, if you saw him, like walking down the street, if you saw him, he's an intimidating figure. <laughs> like, he's huge. He's like a massive beast of a man. And um, he's just, he's got such a gentle heart. Yeah, definitely. Did you, so, 
<clears throat> like, I think most people realise by now that you, you tend to do the sort of the background <laughs> research and I just go into it, just yeah. <laughs> wing it a bit. Um, so you knew about the stuff with his son? I did. I kept it deliberately kept it from you. Yeah, I think that was really harsh. You can't do that to me. I do that a lot that to you. That was like I do that a lot to you. I kind of yeah. That was that withhold. was But the thing is I wanted an authentic an authentic conversation. Yeah, I get you. I was not ready for that. And that was But yeah, the stuff heavy. of it I genuinely hope that, that they they they, they, they reconnect at some point. They yeah. you know, he's that's just heartbreaking. It is. The whole, the, at the airport, just, oh my God. Yeah. Like, as a parent, just, that's, just, yeah. Wow. Wow. But yeah, he's, yeah, and, um, he's gonna, he's gonna come back on, I'm sure, um, at some point. But I, I could have talked to him for three hours. Yeah, yeah. This could have been like a Joe Rogan podcast. Three hours <laughs> worth of conversation. But yeah, he's a, He's a lovely human, and he was he was really generous with his time. Yes. Thank you very much, Travis. We really do appreciate you. So I hope everyone else enjoyed that as much as we did. Mm-hmm. Um, a quick recap. This week's Great Debate. Yeah. Should you be allowed to go, go barefoot, barefoot anywhere you want to? And the answer's yes. <laughs> but we will let you decide. <laughs> but, but the answer's yes. Anyway. <sighs> Anyway. Right. So, I think that this was quite a lengthy interview. Mm-hmm. So we won't hang on too much longer. Nope. Shall I do my positive... Your positive... Yeah, your positive... Drop a positivity. Drop a positivity. Again, I've kind of uh, tried to be on topic with today's uh, interview. Oh, nice. So, it's not too long, this one. <laughs> I have had a few that have gone on. So, this week's... What, what should I call it? Like this week's drop of positivity. Drop of we we like that. Drop okay, of positivity. Fine. This week's drop of positivity. We'll make a is tune. Yeah, maybe. Is strength does not come from winning. Your struggles develop your strengths. When you go through hardships and decide not to surrender, that is strength. Damn, that was that was right on the nose, wasn't it? It's good, right? That's like that was pretty much his story. Do you know who said that? Who said that? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Well, he was a wise man. He, well, yeah. was, he is a wise man. He is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't be yeah. doing that. Uh, yeah, but that. yeah, I thought that was quite apt to, That's um, fantastic. to today. Good one. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thank you for listening. And as always, love you all. Yeah. See, See you soon. soon. We'll be soon. We'll be soon. <laughs>